Based on the J.R.R. Tolkien fantasy book series that captured the collective imaginations of the world, Peter Jackson's The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, kicked off a nearly $3 billion franchise, not including the Hobbit prequel trilogy. The Lord of the Rings would go on to become an international phenomenon that has pervaded pop culture in every way imaginable. From video games to memes to a much-anticipated brand new television series that is set to premiere on Amazon Prime in early September, Lord of the Rings has inspired many a filmgoer with its sprawling story, breathtaking visuals, ethereal score, and some of the most iconic moments in cinematic history. And it all started here. This is the second film we're discussing that was selected for preservation by the National Film Registry for its cultural, historical, and aesthetic significance, and it's easy to see why. So let's start our journey through this movie and bear it all as we discuss The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. What's it about? I'm your host, Ricardo Blade Diaz. And I'm Seth Crow, And this is the What's It About Film Podcast, the show where two aspiring creatives aim to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror up to ourselves and seeing how it all reflects in our own lives. Seth, how are you doing today? What's up, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing all right, man. I had a, a, a rough week this past week um, in that nothing like really bad happened. It was more of a, I was, I was disappointed in myself. Um, okay. So uh, we, me and my roommate are starting to work on like shooting and producing our own uh, films and short films and scenes and stuff like that, kind of working on our, like, you know, cutting our filmmaking teeth as it were. Content. Um, yeah. And so we were, shoot, we were shooting this past weekend a, a scene that I wrote um, that's from a screenplay I've been working on for a really long time. Uh and so, like, all week we were preparing for this, and I was really excited and things like that. I was also acting in it. So not only was, like, I was doing, like, my acting work of, like, preparing for the scene and stuff like that. Um, but, like, I was so focused and so excited on doing this scene and, like, this production and stuff like that that I, like, dropped the ball on, like, everything else that I had going on. So, like, I, uh, I had a parody order that I had to do that I – barely finished and like only did the bare minimum where it was a return customer and so i usually go a little bit further for them mm. and so like i delivered them like the bare minimum of what i could do and what i could finish and i felt so bad uh, but they were super understanding and i, I you know i'm gonna get back to them uh something good and then um our, our for our uh character player which is our like dungeons and dragons uh channel that uh we we are a part of um we had we we're supposed to have another episode of my campaign zombie you go up and there was an issue with the episode that i'd uploaded so i'd take it down and then re-upload it but the up the like re-exporting of it took way too long yeah and so it didn't go up in time and so now it's premiering today mm. instead of on monday uh I, I made a mistake with one of editing one of our other videos so like i was just so like I dropped the ball in a few different areas this past week and it really I was really all, disappointed in myself. These are all expectations you're putting on yourself, Ricky. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So but, I'm just saying like you got to you got to you know you you took on a new task this week. You're trying new things. You got to you got to give yourself a break, man. You 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 can't you can't bat a thousand all the time. Yeah, you know? but you you gotta. You, you, I, it was a frustrating week to say the least. Like I felt like I I had I dropped the ball on, on everything else except for one. You just thing. added a new ball. Yeah. You know what I, I mean. I was juggling you're, a lot. You're yeah. juggling a lot, and you added a new ball, and you just gotta learn to juggle with five balls instead of four balls. I don't you know? want any more balls in my life. <laughs> yeah. No comment. 
That's, it feels like loaded, a loaded conversation. <laughs> but how are you doing, Seth? How was your week? I'm good. Hold on. Let me shut my door real quick. No. <laughs> Leave it open. Everybody must hear. You, you oh, didn't close okay. it all the way. It won't. It doesn't. Um, it doesn't that's something you need way. to fix. No, I'm not going to fix it. Okay. It's too, it, it, I would need a new door. The, the door does not fit the door. Correct. Yeah, you guys have to get a new door. They would have to get a new door, and I'm oh, not going to get a new door. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's been a good week. My buddy, uh, you know Dane. Uh, mm-hmm. Dane Diamond came into town. Oh, I didn't um, know Dane was coming into town this weekend. Yeah, yeah. It was his birthday weekend, so oh, cool. um, we did it up, which is a, a very fun, but also very exhausting. And uh, I've been just kind of like, I've been chilling the last two days. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, Having Lord of the Rings on the roster for something to do was nice. Actually. Yeah, it is. A, yeah. And let me tell you, it is something you have to sit down and plan because it is hefty. Long. Yeah, it is hefty. No, I didn't uh, watch the extended edition. No? No, did you? Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I guess one like of us four had hours. To, <laughs> Jeez, I didn't know. No, not. but you know, it, 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 honestly, it's not that big of a deal because like, I've seen both versions enough times to know when there's like something new and there's something that was in the original. And gotcha. honestly, like the, the added stuff, I would say like, while adds like a little bit, a little bit of like depth and a little bit of like character development and stuff like that really doesn't change the story very much. Like the story still flows yeah. the way it's supposed to. I even, even I was like, you know, kind of a structure nerd when it comes to film, like writing and stuff like that and films, uh, the midpoint still comes in pretty much the middle, even with yeah. the added material. Most of the added stuff is in the is in the first half, and not and not as much in the second half. So like he like added it, and he's like, okay, if it's gonna be about four hours, the, the midpoint would be here, and it's about in the right spot, which I thought was uh-huh. really interesting. So it's still structured very very well, which is interesting yeah. to me. Well, I mean, I think honestly that's probably as peter jackson's easiest task in this film uh mm-hmm. because i mean J.R.R. tolkien's books are structured like pristinely like yeah. they're like they're like mausoleums of of story structure oh like, my god yeah like uh, like if, for me being like super in the school of like the blake snyder like beat sheet and stuff like that like a lot of people writers out there would know the blake snyder kind of version of these things um it is to the T really, really like on the money as far as like maybe not the page counts and like the minute markers, but like as far as like when things happen at what times, you can easily be like bang, 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 bang. That's like it, like it, and the, yeah. even like the way it like turns and the way it paces, like once you hit like that midpoint when the fellowship is formed, like the pacing picks up and like things, like literally, like everything starts coming down on them, mountains and and bird, like Eve, like everything literally starts coming at them, and it's amazing how like flawlessly this this movie plays with its structure and how like it just like it just like goes right on through. Yeah, what a I great mean, journey. Yeah, uh, it it was interesting that this was what the the film I picked uh, mm-hmm. because. Um, I, you know, this was kind of like a spur of the moment choice, mm-hmm. um, last, last episode. And, uh, and I know why I think it's because like this film for me, this is probably my favorite movie of all time. Like mm-hmm. in my gut, mm-hmm. like this movie had more impact on me than about any movie I've ever seen. Um, and 
it was weird. It was weird rewatching it because like, I know it like backward and forward. I can quote the whole thing. Mm. Um, but it's, it's also strange to be watching it from a newly analytical point of view. It's like, it's like one of those things where, you know, if you say a word over and over and over again, you it like loses its meaning. Mm-hmm. It's kind of, I kind of feel that way about this movie a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen it so many times that I'm like, Oh, is there more I can glean? Mm-hmm. You know, like, like I, I, like I, I think I know this movie so well. Like I'm worried. I'm, I'm interested in what we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I'm interested too. Uh, and I, I agree with you. This film is was very influential for me. So if, in my like, when I think back to what movies influenced me and the kind of brought me to this path of being like a filmmaker and a story writer and a storyteller. Um, Lion King was probably number one was first like in that like idea of like stories I saw Lion King in theaters with my family dozens of times it was my favorite movie when I was a kid Um, the next one was The Matrix my dad introduced me to The Matrix and I thought that was amazing amazing that's a weird statement to say the yeah why (laughs) like my father introduced me to The Matrix but he kind of he kind of did Ah, because I was like, birthed from him. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I am his progeny, his seed. It's very meta. <laughs> uh, yeah. And then, uh, then when I got a little bit older, so I was about nine or ten when this movie came out. This movie hit the hit my my scope, and I was very inspired to the point where I was like a ten or eleven year old kid. And I was trying to write my own Lord of the Rings like novel. Like I started like literally on my first like computer at home i was like down in our basement on our family computer like trying to write a fantasy novel that was lord of the rings-esque like so like this is honestly like one of those like maybe the first story movie that i saw that made me want to write my own story which was really interesting i'd written like music and songs and stuff like that as a kid but like this was the first like story that i wanted to write which i thought was really interesting well for me this this even so the hobbit was like one of the first books that i really ever connected with and so like i read the hobbit when i was like in fourth grade and um was immediately just like love the world right Mm -hmm. and uh so i started reading lord of the rings and the hobbit is a very different experience than the lord of the Rings. yes it is you know and I, i think there's a purity to it I think there's a purity to coming into the Lord of the Rings having only read the Hobbit mm-hmm. because the Hobbit's such like an adventure story. It's such a, I mean, it, it was meant for kids. Mm-hmm. Like you maintain this fantastical, like there's serious tones and it, it's definitely like in terms of kids books, not as uh, there's definitely like things that happen that you don't expect right mm-hmm. like it's it's not like the guy the hobbit goes and slays the dragon that's not mm-hmm. you know that's not what happens but as a kid that's what you think's gonna happen mm-hmm. and but once you get to the lord of the rings there is like this adult reality that sets in mm-hmm. and uh the sense of doom that uh that i think i think that Peter Jackson executes perfectly. And yeah, man, like this, this film, this film has a very special place in my heart. We should, we should do the, before we start, like, cause it's going to be easy to just spiral on this one. So mm-hmm. let's start with uh, what, what, what's the, what, why is it here? 
and uh, and let's get the IMDb. Yeah. How did it come to be? How did it yeah. come to be? Well, as Seth was saying, uh, yes, this film is directed by Peter Jackson, uh, who you know, acclaimed director, also directed The Valley, Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, Brain Dead, of course, the other Lord of the Rings films, uh, the Hobbit franchise, the documentary uh, They Shall Not Grow Old, and the new Beatles documentary on Disney Plus, Get Back, uh, has quite the extensive director filmography. Uh, and this film was written, or co-written by Peter Jackson, his partner Fran Walsh, and their other writing partner, Philippa Boyens. And all three of them collectively, together, have written all three of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, all three of the Hobbit trilogy, King Kong, The Lovely Bones, and Mortal Engines. Uh, so they're, them as a writing group have written all those things together, which is pretty amazing that they've, they're all from New Zealand. <laughs> uh, yeah. And they all came up together, so... Uh, and so the thing about Lord of the Rings and uh, if we ever do any of the other movies in this franchise, which I assume we will because they're phenomenal films, yeah. um, although they thematically, they all have similarities. Would it be interesting to see if there are subtle differences in them? Um, uh, this film, obviously we were talking about spurred from the books of J.R.R. Tolkien, uh, who wrote the original Hobbit in 1937 and the Lord of the Rings trilogy uh, from 54 to 55. After that, Tolkien himself was a little bit skeptical of doing adaptations of his Middle Earth series. Uh, but there were shorts made in 67 and 71, the Hobbit animated TV special in 1977, and the animated film adaptation in 1978. Uh, so there were some adaptations to this early on both live action and animated both a, a little bit on a smaller scale um i've always that, wanted to watch the animated ones i've never i've never sat down i've only ever seen clips i've never seen a, the full thing um uh of both the lord of the rings animated uh feature and the uh hobbit but uh you know uh i don't know they're like they're very much prevalent like i said prevalent in pop culture and i've seen the certain clips several times you know what i mean yeah um, maybe that could be fun to go back and check those out. It might be, yeah. Um, at some point. Um, but anyway, so uh, it is 1995, and an up-and-coming Peter Jackson uh, is just finishing up uh, making his film. Oh, gosh, I lost. what? Oh, The Frighteners. Uh, making up his, uh, make his film The Frighteners, and he really, really wanted to do a, a fantasy epic. Uh, he thought at this point in time that technology and filmmaking had gotten to a point where they could do something like that. So they, so him and his writing partners wrote a script that they felt was just super derivative of Lord of the Rings. Uh, and he himself thought, why don't we just make Lord of the Rings? Why has no one done that yet? He said to yeah. himself that he was sure that Spielberg or, you know, someone else would have done it already, but hadn't. So he, went and found the rights holder the who was a producer and basically was like hey i'll buy these rights from you and he did and then he wow. went and brokered a deal with miramax for producing and distribution wow uh, so i didn't know that he was the driving force that's really yeah. cool so so by 1997 development on the script and on the story began um, they started building the sets and started doing character designs and costume designs like right off the bat because uh, there was just so much to do. 
Um, and uh, yeah, and then after that, they shot all this whole trilogy. So Fellowship, Two Towers, and Return of the King back to back to back simultaneously. Yeah. So they all were shot all together. And it's probably one of the reasons why they're so cohesive. There's a purity in them, you know, like there's a, there's purity and reverence to the storytelling that does not even translate to the Hobbit right after this. Oh, not at all. It's crazy how much the Hobbit loses. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it's like they knew that they were doing something very important as they were filming these three movies. And Mm -hmm. then immediately, as soon as the Hobbit showed up, it was like, okay, we have to make money now, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And like I it disappoints me so much. Like yeah. The Hobbit only needs to be one movie. Yeah. It needs to it just needed to be one movie, you know? And to put make it into three is just like an atrocity. I me. would say at maximum two. Yeah. You could at do it maximum. In two, like you could do it in two as well if you really wanted to like draw the story out. Well, I think people like really like spending time in Middle Earth. So I think like two would have like just a, 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 a part one, part two would have really satisfied that itch for people. Um, and three, it was just way too drawn out and there wasn't enough going on and it didn't re- recapture. And they added magic. so much. Yeah. They added that was, stuff. That is the problem. They added yeah. a lot. That, that's what would like with these films, you could not, no, like, you could not add anything really because it was like, they had to leave so much out, you know? Like I, I still think that these but this, these films are maybe the best execution of book to not or of of novel to film that I've ever seen. Um, and, are you forgetting Harry Potter? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> like, no offense to Harry Potter, I'm not a big Harry Potter fan. I I am. I will say that Harry Potter does capture tone mm-hmm. like really, really, really well, mm-hmm. but it's not as executed as like pristinely as mm. lord of the rings like that's fair there's a like even though you don't like even though there is stuff missing you don't feel like you're missing things no it's pretty well done the only criticisms i would have with this film is i think the passage of time is very kind of confusing like how much time is passing while they're traveling and between different events gets a little bit muddled at times like yeah. in the in the in the book 17 years passes from when Bilbo leaves the Shire to when Frodo starts his adventure. 17 years passes. And in that time, Gandalf is doing research about the ring. He's looking for Gollum. All that stuff is happening. In the movie, this happens in like such a short period of time where it's almost confusing as to when it's happening. Yeah, but I mean, that's, I mean, Tolkien just, I think, I think the argument to be made there is Tolkien takes so much time. Oh, for sure. That you, you, you don't, you don't have to know really right. no i know and i agree but it just it just threw me off a little bit so like like bill like when they when uh frodo gets to the uh rivendell and re- reunites with bilbo bilbo has has finished his book completely yeah and is has aged quite a bit but like we understand that that's because he doesn't have the ring anymore but he's finished his book so it hasn't been at least a significant amount of time passed yeah. from when bilbo yeah. left to when frodo arrives yeah. like but and that's kind of glossed over because it doesn't feel like it was that long. It was like maybe a, a a few days to a week. To give a me that. Give me the IMDb blurb so we can just just dive right, straight man. into this because right, I, I can I can like nerd out about this movie for. All right, all right, all right. Yeah, yeah. So again, <laughs> I have both the Rotten Tomatoes and the IMDb. I'm gonna let you guess. All right. 
All right. All right. So here's the first one. The future of civilization rests in the fate of the One Ring, which has been lost for centuries. Powerful forces are unrelenting in their search for it, but fate has placed it in the hands of a young hobbit named Frodo Baggins, who inherits the ring and steps into legend. A daunting task lies ahead for Frodo when he becomes the Ring Bearer to destroy the One Ring in the fires of Mount Doom where it has been forged. It's pretty extensive. Mm-hmm. And here's the second one. A meek hobbit from the Shire and eight companions set out on a journey to destroy the powerful One Ring and save Middle-earth from the Dark Lord Sauron. All right, that's the Rotten Tomatoes, I think. You think number two is Rotten Tomatoes? Yeah. yeah. You're wrong. Oh, man. So You're wrong. Twice now. So, they, so Rotten Tomatoes is capable of an extensive summary. So I can't... <laughs> okay. Well, now that you now that our audience knows something I've no something I've noticed, maybe this might be a tip off to you. Maybe next time you can do it and and see if I can okay. guess. Maybe okay. no, I'm going to test my theory. I'll test my theory next time. That's what I'll do. Okay. Okay. So fair enough. Uh, without further ado, remember everybody here at the What's It About Film Podcast, we are talking about the thematic core of these movies. Uh, through uh, talking about different plot points, the plot is the sequence of events that happens to tell the story, and the thematic core is what's being conveyed through those plot events. And that's what we're going to be talking about, that thematic course. So, Seth, let's ask that question. Go. You want to ask it or you want me to ask it? I'll ask it. I'll okay. ask it. Ricky, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, uh, what's it about? Yeah, you know, this might be the first film in this group that I was having trouble. Not that I don't connect with this movie, Uh emotionally i'm not as like wrapped up in it you know what i mean like i'm super like the the emotions that i feel while watching this movie on 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 a whole is very much like childlike awe and wonder in a lot of ways like i feel very much like i'm being told a fairy tale and a story an epic and i'm wrapped up in the adventure visually this is the best movie yes like visually yes and so, so I'm wrapped up in the awe of the adventure, and there are only a few times when I'm like emotion, super emotionally invested, or at least, or like it strikes me on a deeper emotional level. Yeah. Um, but as far as like what the film is about, uh, and then getting into kind of where it hits me personally a little bit later, for me, this film is about the burden of responsibility. So we all have the burden to be good. And none of us may shirk the responsibility that, sorry, we all have a responsibility to, <clears throat> we, the burden of responsibility to be good falls on us all. None of us may shirk this responsibility because evil will never rest. Um, and that's kind of what I got from this. And this story is super biblical in so many ways. Oh yeah. It, it's a, it, this is basically a very beautiful fantastical morality tale yeah um and so like you really have to almost look at it in binary in that way in a lot of ways it's good versus evil and the fight of good and evil within us all and the ring represents corruption and evil and frodo has to literally has to carry it with him yeah but maintain his will to be good yeah, I'll, I'll agree, like, in terms of good and evil, it's very, very polar. You know, there is mm-hmm. good and there is evil. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I honestly, as I was watching it this time, I was trying to find the subtleties of that, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's, I, I'll t- I, I very much agree with your, your statement about what it's about. Uh, I, I'm trying to th- see if there's anything else I would add. I, I do think there's an element of, you don't know what you're capable of until you're put into the circumstances mm-hmm. and you don't, you don't really know what you'll do. Um, and it's about doing the right thing, even when it's difficult. That's the, that's the biggest key. And, and, and for me, that's what this movie is about. It's about, Hey, like, especially when it comes to like the hobbits, right? It's really yeah. easy to be happy, good, peaceful folk. Like they're peaceful folk. They don't like to get in other, the, the, you know, as they say, the, the, um, the twos and the Y fours of of, the, of uh, larger men, yeah, yeah right. Yeah. They don't like to get involved with what's going on in the world around them. They they like to isolate themselves from that, and yes. they can live happy, blissfully unaware, carefree lives in that way. And it's easy to do that when yeah. nothing is burdening you. Yeah, you know, we talked about this a little bit in, um, gosh, what movie did we just talk about this recently? Oh, in the Dark Knight when we talked about the Dark Knight, right? Like, yeah, it's easy for. Harvey Dent to be this white knight when nothing has t- come to take him down yet. Yeah. And, and the same thing, it's like these hobbits are so carefree because there's nothing weighing them down. Yeah. I mean, and, the sh- like the Shire is the Shire is a, a near perfect place to live. Mm-hmm. You know, it's sheltered. It's beautiful. They're, they're well-fed. They live these like happy little lives. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, like, it's Bilbo, especially like at the beginning of the movie, how unhappy he is there, mm-hmm. you know, and it's because he's there's there's a lot of reasons. I mean, but mainly it's like he knows what's outside of it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? He's he's he doesn't he's no longer capable of just staying in one place and not mm-hmm. seeing. I guess the ignorance of mm-hmm of that world which kind of makes him both a hero and a social pariah we see mixed emotions about bilbo in the community of the shire and and bag end uh where uh some people love him some people talk about and idolize him in his stories um and other people look on him as like a a crackpot basically like oh bilbo and his crackpot story you know Crackweed stories, whatever they say. Uh, uh, some people don't like him because they think he, you know, he thinks he's better than everybody, and that yeah. you know he his stories are maybe a little bit embellished, and you know he blew up his own ass a little bit. Well, I mean, and th- this kind of akins back to like the big fish stuff, but like, like they're not embellished. Mm-mm. His stories are not embellished, but nobody like it's hard, you know, people aren't going to believe it because, mm-hmm. you know, they haven't experienced those things. Right, exactly. Their their perception of the world is so is so small that it, what everything he's talking about is just so un- unbelievable. Like, there's yeah. no way that anyone that's been out there it would be like, no, it absolutely is 100% true. Yeah. One of my favorite moments and in, in, uh, that's done so smoothly and, like, subtly is uh, when they're – just after Frodo has been stab- stabbed and they're like uh, trying to uh, find the, the weed to put in his mm-hmm. wound and you see the, the stone trolls 
that yeah. are in the background. Mr. Fro, yeah. Uh, in the in the extended version, he, he they he actually comments on it. He says, "Mr. Frollo, it's Bill, it's Mr. B- it's Mr. Bilbo's trolls." Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like you couldn't notice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, that, I I I actually really like the way they did it in the the unextended version. Like, yeah, just, just having there, it there. Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, it it's really hard for me to know honestly where to start with these movies well i uh, i think something that i want to talk about again as a, a, getting into a little bit of the structure nerdiness of this this film has one of the greatest and most easily recognizable bookends that i've ever seen in that the again going back to that blake snyder structure those that beat sheet the opening image versus the the closing image the final image right they should be mirrors of each other right yeah to show that We've gone on a journey. We've gone through a change from one place to another because stories are about change. The story starts. Yes, we get this like overture of everything, right? To kind of set up the world and that's fine. But like the actual, this actual story starts with Bilbo reading in the, in the forest. Yeah. Super carefree. Like we talked about, like the Shire is carefree. They don't have a care in the world. It's all fun and games and just living happily uh he's carefree but by the end of this film him and sam are going off on their own literally bearing the weight of the world on their shoulders like around his neck actually he's bearing the weight of the world around his neck from carefree to just burdened with responsibility that is such perfect bookends of like telling this story even though it's the first of a trilogy like honestly, if the film would have ended there and like never continued, like sure, I would have wanted to know how it ends, but like I would have felt very satisfied with like being like, okay, like this is this is the journey that he went on. He's yeah. he's going to do it, you know. And and I think it's amazing how Tolkien like there is like a realism to to these like epicness of these sagas, like like the fact that it's not Bilbo. You know what I mean? That it's it's his nephew, mm-hmm. right? Like we had Bilbo's story, and then like you know, if you're a writer, you're like, okay, well, this new thing happens to Bilbo. Like let's mm. let's keep going with this character because this character's loved. But no, he's he's ch- chosen to make it one of Bilbo's relatives. Mm. Like I remember being like almost like offended when I found out that when I started reading the first book that it was oh, not really? about Bilbo. Yeah. Like I was like, cause you love wait, Bilbo. Cause you love Bilbo, right? Like you expect Bilbo to go on another journey. That's longer this time, mm-hmm. but no, it's, it's Frodo, but it's like, it's very, very realistic in that. Like, okay. Like these kinds of things play out over generations. They don't just happen, you know, like Bilbo's story took most of his life. You know, mm-hmm. so I do, I do, I do like that, that it's very realistic and it's like generational storytelling. Mm-hmm. And no, I agree. It makes the world feel real, right? Yeah. Like yeah. all this stuff happened before. There's such a rich backstory. Like this for me, this was, for me, the Fellowship of the Ring was my first introduction into the Middle Earth world. Yeah. I hadn't read The Hobbit. Uh, I'd never at that point in my life. I'd never even heard of The Hobbit. I um, this is the, my first introduction into this this world. For me, there was such rich backstory that it was being given to me 
that, yeah, I was excited to be like, oh my gosh, like I can go explore this other story that's like sets this, that puts this story into motion. Yeah. Like that story, a very, just a very small portion of it, it makes this story possible. Just him finding the ring in, in The Hobbit is a very small part of that, that well, adventure. Hobbit, I mean, it's the resolution too, right? right? Like without The Hobbit, like, like, there's like the ripple effect of people's actions. He does so well. Like mm-hmm. J.R. Tolkien does so well of of allowing one thing to ripple through his world and have effect on other things. Like I, mm-hmm. it's amazing the the scope of yeah. this world. No, like, I mean what is it? Eleven? There's eleven languages that he wrote for mm-hmm. for this. Pretty baffling. But like I mean, so like the beginning and the end of this whole tale mm-hmm. is in the hobbit but mm-hmm. y- you don't know that you know what i mean like like him finding the ring and then sparing Gollum's life are the only things like are the entire story because mm-hmm. because Gollum is the one that eventually falls in with the ring you know like Gollum had to live mm-hmm. um but that's a different movie and then different conversation mm-hmm. uh uh, something that I really liked what you said was this idea of the burden of responsibility and like this idea of like it's easy to be good when there's nothing weighing you down, right? There's a line in this film at around the 35-minute mark for me. I may have happened differently in the original, but uh, where one of the hobbits says, uh, keep your nose out of trouble and no trouble will come to you. That's their yeah, philosophy. It's not in the – that's not a line in the – Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, well, that's their philosophy. They they believe if we keep our nose out of it, like even like in the original, like if you look at the what sets up this whole world is like this war between Sauron uh, and Isildur keeping the ring and things like that, right? Yeah. Uh, Sauron gave gave you know uh, three rings to the elves, five five rings to the dwarves, and nine rings to man. He didn't yeah. give any rings to the hobbits. No. Because he no. literally didn't think they were worth anything. Yeah. He, they yeah. were not even in his consideration as far as like world conquest. Well, they're little people. and Exactly. And, well, so and, are dwarves. And, well, and not just that. But so like if you're in the hobbit, hmm. there is like this element that they set up with the hobbits that it's really hard to see a hobbit. Like hmm. they have this kind of magic it's, quality. Well, they stay, yeah, they stay in the Shire and they don't, venture out very much well not just that like there's a description of hobbits in the very beginning of of the hobbit okay and they they have this almost magical quality about them that you would just like not even see them if they were right in front of you like they are they are somehow magic like subtly magically imperceivable Mm -hmm. so it's it's like people know they're there but they don't like they have to show themselves for you Mm -hmm. to see them um yeah uh sorry there's like so much i know about this crap no it's fine i like here's the thing man in this in this episode you're this story the historian and i'm the one that's a little bit less educated because there's just so much that like uh, like there's just so much surrounding this whole franchise as far as like historical yeah this and that it's so weird what i have in my brain about these stories that i don't even remember that i have Mm -hmm. because like Cause I read them so, I read them so like 
bountifully like i i i, I consumed them richly at, mm. at a young age and so like um yeah i just there's so much I, like I, I got really stoked um honestly about the new the new tv show that's mm-hmm. coming out um and just like while i was watching the movie just like did all this reading about what it like about the the new about what they're mm-hmm. going to be going into and stuff that i didn't exactly know about and uh, i think it's going to be cool like i hope so well they have a, they have a, i think they have a lot they can do with it mm-hmm. because the cimmerillion is so like vague essentially mm-hmm. it's so biblically written there's not a lot mm-hmm. of like minutia it's just epic mm-hmm. like landmarks essentially mm-hmm. or storytelling marks so they can take the concepts of these rings and mm-hmm. the characters involved and really really create a rich world out of them that that may not be totally tolkien's but has so much room for development exactly um, which is going to be cool i think and and like because the rings the rings themselves which the new the new show is going to be about the is this is taking place before lord of the rings mm-hmm. uh the trilogy and just like the creation of the rings and what the rings did right mm. so and and like even like the rings themselves there's not a whole lot of information on what they mm. do no exactly so like, yeah so it's like you can you can i think they're going to be able to do a whole lot so I, i'm mm. stoked about that yeah but oh, what was i going to say there was a whole <laughs> point uh yeah, there's just so much, um, and I think to get back to like the fellowship, which is what we're trying to stick to, um, there is a de- so this movie, from what I said from the beginning, there is a sense of doom that's introduced, mm-hmm. and that's what's so beautiful about this novel is the fairy tale dies. So like, even like you feel this, the sense like as a child reading this book you're like, wait, this feels different. Like this, so like it, it, there's something, there's knowledge given to you as a kid that ages you. Like Mm. you're, you, there's an end of innocence that happens to the reader as you're going through the first book. Because like you've been to Elrond, like you've been to Rivendell, you know, like you've seen these places, but things are different and the, the, like when you're watching and it happens in a montage in, in this, um, in the film, but in the book, like the moment that Gandalf starts figuring out the ring stuff, it's like, what? Like, like, are you, the ring is evil. Like you're like that. I love the ring. Like you, (laughs) you also love the ring because Bilbo used it to such great effect in the Hobbit. Yeah, and it's like it's like it's like fun. The ring's fun. Like it's like oh, I want like you know when I would play the Hobbit, I would have the ring. You Mm. know what I mean? Like, but this ring is like the most evil thing in the world. The literal embodiment of evil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so like it it gives you like a nasty feeling in your stomach, like you feel betrayed. You know? Well, I think what's in- so interesting to circle back to the movie a little bit, uh, this that idea of like if you keep yourself out of your nose out of trouble, trouble won't find you, and we simply know that that's not true. Like, yeah, keeping your nose out of trouble, trouble will find you anywhere. Evil 
if you want to put that that word on it, will is within us all and is prevalent in our lives at all times. It is just because you try to avoid it doesn't mean it's not going to find you. Yeah, just because you abstain from one evil situation does not mean that evil will not come about in some other way. And that this is why I brought it up. I remember now why I brought up the uh, because the rings that were given to the doors, right? The rings that were given to the dwarves did not corrupt the dwarves for some reason. Like mm. they, I guess their race or their fortitude as a people were able to withstand Sauron's influence, like for some reason. Mm. But it did create wealth. It created abundance and long life for the dwarves. And it was the wealth that they accrued that eventually attracted Led to their dragons. Yeah. It attracted dragons. And so it was like, even though they were able to abstain from Sauron, it caused another force of evil to be right. So, so, the, so, from what I understand about the rings, and and speci- specifically because the one ring kind of controls them all, right? From what I understand, That's they the are yeah, that is one <laughs> ring to rule them all. Uh, <laughs> from what I understand about the rings, they are meant to latch on to your shortcomings and amplify them. So, like. They say, like, what's funny in that little montage in the beginning of the movie that Galadriel's giving, she's like, they're the elves, they're smart and immortal and beautiful. And then the dwarves who are strong and and willful and, and master crafters and men who just want power. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. what shade? Who above all, desire power. Yeah, what shade? Like, elves, great. Dwarves, great. Men, what a bunch of pieces of shit. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, so... And it shows that men fell first, right? Like the world of men is in the worst shape as far as like, well, I guess the world of dwarves is not in great shape either when we come into the Lord of the Rings. But like Gimli doesn't know that, oddly enough. Yeah. Um, but like the elves are doing all right. All right. You know, man is not doing good. <laughs> right. Um, they fell hard. Um, because of their pursuit of power corrupted them and then the elves like Galadriel had one of those rings she's definitely been affected but not as much she still has it right she still has it and so the question is why why is Bilbo Gandalf Gandalf has one too well we don't know that (laughs) so this is a new fact no don't tell anybody no just kidding this is a new fact I didn't know the 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 one ring makes you invisible Mm. right the three elvish rings are invisible. So Gandalf's ah. wearing it and you can't see it. Ah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh to go back to go back here, just to get can finish my train Sorry, of thought here. There's so much. Uh, there's so much. No, I know. Uh what, pe- pe- a lot of people may ask, why Frodo? Right? Why why yeah. is Frodo able and what Bilbo too? Bilbo has this ring for 60 plus years. How yeah. is he not? fallen to to its i mean obviously it's affected him but how has he not completely fallen into like where like Gollum is or to you know wherever anybody else might be and why for is well, frodo on the to track resist? to be Gollum? right right but it's taken so much longer yeah well i guess not 500 years i think they said uh, yeah. Gollum had that ring Bill, but it's because Go- well, Gollum, they said is a ho- is something resembling a hobbit right yeah so the whole thing about about hobbits we've just talked about, they don't have a lust for really much of anything. They're not greedy. They're not they're not they're power hungry. Right. They're content. And so it takes so much more to to corrupt them. 
And so, yeah. like, oddly enough, it makes a hobbit the perfect ring bearer because yeah. it takes the ring so much more time to get to their soul in a way. Well, and, they're, and they because they're, they are so weak. As, yeah. Like, they're meek is a better yeah. word. They're meek people. Right. There's, so it takes so much to, like, corrupt that evil that's in something so so innocent in so many ways. Yeah. Which yeah. I think is so interesting. So it's this idea of the the weight of the world is thrust onto something so unassuming. Well, and that's, I mean, that's where we're getting into like biblical conversations, right? Like this, this story is, um, Tolkien was a very Christian. Yes, he uh, was. Perspective, had a very Christian perspective. He was best friends with C.S. Lewis. Uh, and they both like conferred with each other's epic tales, you know? Mm. Um, and so like this one's a, m- a much more adult tale than uh, uh, the Narnia, the, the Narnia saga. But so like, I don't think that this theme shows up as much in this movie, but like it is there. Um, the, the whole like hope comes from the place you least expect it. Mm-hmm. Right. And it almost has to, um, and uh, in order for it to be justified and um, I don't want to say, I don't know if I want to say real, but like, like you need, it needs to be a hobbit that, that bears that ring because they're least corruptible and nobody expects a hobbit mm-hmm. to, to bear the ring because they don't think they're capable mm-hmm. of it because it's such a, but it's like it is their purity, and it because they're small people that can't be seen that easy. It makes mm-hmm. for the perfect. It makes for the perfect ring bearer, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um, and and to get into the, the the biblical a little bit more, this idea of the the responsibility that these people have to be good. So like things like I think immediately of like Aragorn, Aragorn running away from his responsibility to be the king of men. You know, he's supposed yeah. to be the uniting force and he's, he is, he's so afraid of the sins of the father, right? He, he uh, or yes. his grandfather, he's very Aragorn, afraid. Aragorn, in my opinion, is. He's the, Jesus. No, I don't think he's Jesus. I do. He's I the, mean, he, he's the prodigal son. More of the prodigal son. Um, he, I mean, if we're, if anybody's Jesus in this, it's. It's Frodo. Like, I think Frodo has to be Jesus. Aragorn, I think Aragorn's the most interesting uh, character in the first movies. Mm. Because he's the one that actually does have the most, like, subtlety. And, like, when we first see him, for example, he looks like a ring ring. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, he's... Wearing the the hood, the and black his eyes. rider, yeah, yeah, and uh, I think that's uh, I think it's really awesome because Aragorn has seen and done things on the road that are probably like I mean, the dude is a freaking like he's a beast. He's a beast. Like yeah, like he the reason the reason he's not Jesus, right? It's is because of how sinful he is. Exactly. Yeah, like that's why, that's why Frodo Frodo's pure, right? Mm-hmm. Like 
Frodo's has not been touched by evil. Mm. Honestly, I looked at Frodo as almost like more of a merry character. The bearer, well, the bearer of, okay. of salvation. Well, that would make, then therefore Sam is Jesus. I would say Sam is Joseph. I, I disagree. I, He's I, the I, shepherd. I, Sam Sam literally is supporting and bringing Mary so, to. So that makes <laughs> that makes Gollum Jesus. Yeah. If, if we're gonna really get it, <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I do think it's interesting that you're right. Like Aragorn in particular is, I think, the most developed and well conceived character, or and, and maybe most well portrayed, especially as far as like the Fellowship goes. Um, because you, you understand immediately that he is, he is burdened by responsibility. He has something that he's running away from. And it's very clear that he kind of has this philosophy of, if I just stay away, everything will be fine. And he does that yeah. even with it, with, with, uh, it's a very, Arwen. Hobbit, it's a very Hobbit philosophy. Yeah. And he even has that philosophy with the, the, the love of his life, you know, Arwen, who, who he, just kind of stays away from because he thinks that he is going to corrupt her life. Yeah. Um, and so he's burdened by this, but he's trying to do good. You know, he's trying to, to shepherd he, good. He wants, he's, he wants to do so good. So he wants to be so good. That, that he doesn't he have has, to be King. Yeah. Like he's afraid. He knows that being King forces him to be put in a position to do evil. So mm-hmm. like, he is he's abstaining from everything essentially. Mm-hmm. He's throwing himself into exile to avoid. But I think I think it's had the opposite effect that he expected. Right, because you know well, now the, everything is falling into disarray, which is bringing about more evil and more corruption and more avenues for for Sauron and and evil to make its way into the world of men. Where if he was the uniting force, potentially maybe not. So there's a, there is this idea. Temptation is such a big theme in this in this movie yeah this there the the, there are so many characters like frodo has to be the one to carry the ring because he's the only one that doesn't have anything that he really wants you know he didn't this this journey was thrust upon him he didn't want this honestly yeah and almost like right at the midpoint when he makes it to rivendell he's ready to go home like literally he's like i i'm ready to go home this was enough for me um uh but he Again, once again, like he realizes it has to be him. It has to. And so he doesn't want for anything other than this to be over. Yeah. Like he wants this to be done. That's all he wants. And so everybody else in the story wants the ring or at least wants something, right? Like Aragorn wants to do good. He wants to snuff out evil. And so he would use the ring to do that. Same with Gandalf. They would be tempted to use the ring to try and make it for good. And it's just not possible. And then we have Boromir who's seeking power. And we have Gimli who's seeking like wealth and and fame. It's like everybody else has these motivating factors. I I do want to make a quick quick mention. Like the moments that – like Gandalf and Galadriel are tempted by the ring and even Aragorn to an extent. Mm-hmm. Those moments, I think people don't realize how big of a victory yeah. that is. those are. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like the fact that Gandalf did not take the ring. He even touched it. Huge. Yeah, yeah. Aragorn and, never touches it, yeah, which is yeah. great. Uh, Galadriel n- never touches it. Yeah. Gandalf does. And so does yeah. Boromir. Boromir yeah. unfortunately succumbs, which yeah. 
actually, that's kind of interesting. There are only two, you know, if again, notwithstanding the the trilogy, there are two characters that die in this film. Spoiler alert, everybody: Boromir and Gandalf. Yeah. Right. They are both the ones who touched the ring, other than yeah. Frodo. Nobody else did. Has. Well, and maybe maybe that's why Gandalf had to die. You know, like mm-hmm. he knew that that he was in this form corruptible. Um, mm. I don't know. Uh, that's interesting. I, I, there's also like with Boromir, especially like oh, I think such we, a great arc for that. Yeah, such redemption. You know what oh, I mean? An like, instant, like it happens. And then right away he needs to redeem himself and he does. And it's, it's that arc is so quick, it, but so effective in some weird way. It's amazing. It's better in the books for sure. Like that's one of the things that, uh, Boromir, Boromir is the most human character in, mm-hmm. in this story. Yes, he is. And that's why I think people have connected with him over the years. You know, no offense to like, like Legolas is my favorite character just cause I think Legolas is so He's cool. cool. He's yeah, Legos is just cool. Uh, Gimli is funny. I like Gimli a lot. But like, yeah, like the most emotionally connected character that I think most people connect with is Boromir and Aragorn. The yeah. men, you know. Legolas actually has very little to do in this film. No, Legolas, Legolas emotionally is very, and I think that maybe plays into the fact that he's an elf. The elves are very yeah. above it all, right? Yeah. That's like their thing. So like, I get that. Yeah. I get that, and Legolas is like a, a has a purity to him, of like steadfast focus. Yeah, he's like a prince almost. Yeah, like so, so it's interesting that Legolas is like the my favorite character, but he has probably the least character development across these movies. Gimli, I think, has even a bigger character development than, well, than yeah. Legolas does. We see it more though, like in starting in the two towers right you know yeah. legolas and gimli's relationship is a very important oh so one. great it's so great but yeah. i think legolas may, may remains the same mostly if not the same throughout maybe he becomes a little less serious i think that's the thing that that legolas softens as a as a person you know elves yeah. are very serious i think legolas softens and becomes a much more warm person which i think is his arc um throughout the entire series but not in this film um so so go ahead. Let's let's dive into like this. Yeah, I was actually just I was absolutely just going to say the same to this like this like doing the right thing despite your circumstances and Mm -hmm. despite your uh, and you don't know what you're going to do until you're actually thrown into circumstances that Mm. that aren't the best and the hope is that you will overcome Mm. even though things look grim and even Mm. if you don't it was worth it was worth fighting for Mm. because somebody has to Mm. i mean i I could not help bro watch this film and draw parallels to what's happening in ukraine right now Mm. like there was there was just no way you could not be like whoa like ukraine's frodo like Mm. like going up against sauron russia you know like Mm. putin and it's just like there's and uh, the U S is like Gandalf, right? Like he's not allowed to exactly participate, but he can guide, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it, it, it's just interesting because it's like, it's interesting how this story is all the stories, you know what I mean? Like, it's Mm -hmm. interesting how like a story like this is so epic that it ends up, you can lay it over 
any his, piece of history, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, like personally, I can I've always connected deeply to this story because I have felt like Frodo or Bilbo in my mm-hmm. in my journeys. Like uh, maybe they inspired me, but uh, the there and back again concept I can really Mm. understand um and it changes you you know like having gone on an adventure like this and then having to come home you go you can't really you're not the same Mm. does that make sense Mm -hmm. and being put in situations where i have done have, have have had to make hard choices and whether or not i have made the right choices or done the right thing. I haven't, you know, I have, I have made some good choices and some bad choices along the way. And, um, but at least I've been, I've put myself into a situation where I've actually had to make choices mm-hmm. and where I look at like people that I grew up with or, you know, like I come from a very Shire like place and, and those people don't, they've never had to make choices. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? They've never had to, see how they deal with failure or and and it's it, it's weird it's weird to have that perspective once you've obtained it and then have to like see it in others mm-hmm. uh yeah you and i have a very similar background in that way and i also come from a pretty small town uh where most people that i grew up with like from like childhood all the way through high school still live there or live in that yeah. area and have married people that they met in high school, you know, have kids with people that they met in high school. And there's nothing wrong with that necessarily. Like, I don't want me to disparage anybody that has done that. Right. Um, it but, makes them happy. If it makes you happy. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing there. Like live, like live whatever life that makes you happy. Like, absolutely. I'm one of the few, like I, I went to a school a little bit farther away, not super far away, but a little bit farther away in college. And then I went to Chicago, which was a little bit farther away. And living in Chicago definitely changes the way you look at things for sure. And the way you experience life and especially being an artist and being an actor and stuff like that. Like you experience a lot of not just disappointment, but like adversity and temptation and challenge. Like, like it's not, it's not an easy road being an actor or, you know, trying to pursue, trying to pursue, that as a as a as a livihood you're gonna experience a lot of emotions that you mm-hmm. uh don't and not really just on want. yeah exactly not just like for a performance just but like just like doing the thing uh and then now living in la here it, same thing like you go through some shit like it, it's yeah. and then you like i went when the pandemic started i got caught at home so like i was going to visit my brother for his 21st birthday I stopped in St. Louis to hang out with my family for a couple of days and that's when the world shut down. Yeah. And I, so I got kind of got stuck in at home for gosh, it must've been like seven months or so, something like that. Bro, Dude, the pandemic was, so I'll never forget this. Okay. And I bring it up right now because it's related to you. So I'm going to say, first I'm going to preface, if I had to pick anybody that's my Samwise Gamgee, it's Ricardo Diaz, and I don't uh-huh. I, like it, it. Like I don't want to cry, but I could cry. Um, I feel like we see each other 
in an artistic way that is very pure and uh and i appreciate that friendship um but for me the pandemic wasn't real until i dropped you off at the airport and suddenly i was in los angeles mordor <laughs> like alone like mm -hmm. i i broke down and cried like a baby after you got out of the car i was just I was just driving home and I could see LA and suddenly the world was ending and I was by myself. And yeah, that, that oh. was, that was the moment that, that the pandemic was real for me. Dude, I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't know. I can't wait. I never told you that, but yeah, no. that's, that's, that was the moment for me. Um, Cause I was like, I don't know when you're coming back. And now uh, like it was just me and Sarah against the world, you know, mm -hmm. living in Hollywood. Um, which was horrifying, <laughs> you know, like it was absolutely horrifying. Yeah. But sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. I just needed to. No, 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 no. It, it, I have this I very similar experience as you is like you, it changes you. So I was at home for the next seven months and it was really weird to like, as much as I love my family, I'm definitely different than when I left and like, I'm very different from them now. Um, and sometimes nowadays that causes some turmoil, not really, but like a little bit. Um, but most importantly, like that, that feeling, and we talked about this when we talked about the dark night, this idea of, I connect very much with Aragorn in a lot of ways, this idea yeah. of pushing myself away and abstaining from stuff for the fear of cor corruption, right. Of doing yeah. evil yes, uh, and trying to do good in my, in the way that I think I can control. Yeah. And so for me, this film really hits with this idea of like, yeah, carrying this burden of temptation yeah. and, and, but you don't know what you're called for, you know exactly. what I mean? And your journey and like Aragorn's journey is to be able to accept your purpose and accept mm -hmm. what you're called for. And like, I, I can relate to that, I think as well. Mm -hmm. Um, like, so the first, I don't know if you know this, the first monologue I ever did was Gollum. Um, I think you've told me this one, yeah. So, but like, so I've really thought about like the word precious, right? Mm. Like, like, so like you can relate this to Aragorn, you can relate this to Frodo, and I think everybody can relate in their, their own life. And like, there's this, so my precious, right? like this thing that you care about so much, if it is like, if it is your thing, like if it is like your thing, it has become an idol mm. and it can't be, that can't be your thing. Like the moment that that thing becomes the most, the thing you care about the most is the moment that it becomes unhealthy for you. Mm -hmm. And so like, like Aragorn has made an idol to his own righteousness, you know, mm -hmm. like he's so concerned about being right and not, not being coming corrupted that it is actually corrupting him because like mm -hmm. he is putting himself on the road in situations that are, that he, he's seen more than anybody. Like mm -hmm. it's, his tale is very much like, um, like a Buddha, I think mm -hmm. like Buddha was raised in, 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 he was sheltered. And then he went out and experienced the world and found how, how screwed up it was. Right. 
Mm-hmm. And then in that, it wasn't until after he learned how much suffering the world was in that he became the Buddha, right? Mm-hmm. And so similar, like, so like, so with Frodo, a gr- this is another great example, is like being the ring bearer becomes his preciousness. So mm-hmm. like he has to let go of that in order for the ring to actually be destroyed mm-hmm. because he's made an idol like um, unto his task, mm-hmm. right? So it's like, and, and no, no one can actually not be corrupted by it, but mm-hmm. he's able to get as close as possible, right? But he can't, he still can't do it. Right. He needs so, a little push. He just needs a little, a little of that extra push right at the end. Well, it's not even a push. It's a, a bite, you know, <laughs> but like, it's all good. Uh, so like the, the ring to me represents your worldly passions. It represents your world, worldly drive and the things that you, you idolize. Right. And though we put, we invest ourselves greatly in them, we have to let them go honestly to, to actually experience them truthfully. Mm. Like, I, I think, well, for me personally, like the, the things that I've idolized in my life are like marriage and I'm still not married. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And I think that's because I've idolized marriage so much that I'm not actually opening myself up to have a marriage, you know, mm-hmm. uh, art, uh, the pursuit of my artistic passions has been such my focus for the last 10, 12 years that I have become jaded and corrupted essentially uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's because if you focus all your attention on those things, they, you can't allow, you can't, like you said, you don't, you don't allow them to bloom. You're, mm-hmm. you're like, you're smothering them. You're smothering yourself. You're smothering your own passions. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting. Um, like, like you have to, you have to bear the ring right? You have to bear your passions. We all have to bear something. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like, you can't let them consume you. You can't let them consume you. Yeah. But they will if you let them. Exactly. And so I, I like, I think it's very interesting, especially like I bet for Tolkien marriage was like, why else would he choose a ring, a golden ring with nothing? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know his, um, I don't know that backstory about Tolkien. I don't know much actually about his real life, but I mean, so many people idolize marriage, you know, Mm. and make it to be this thing that's going to fix them. And, Mm. and it ends up like making them miserable, Mm. you know, it's interesting. Mm. Um, Yeah. Good insight, Seth. Really good insight. We are coming up onto our hour. Uh, there's just one more thing that I, I personally want to share and touch upon is this idea of each of these characters having these things that are corruptible within them uh, and moments where they so there are triumphs over those things and moments where there are downfalls. Um, yeah. We see moments of that with Aragorn and Gandalf abstaining from from taking the ring. But then we also see it moments for Boromir where he does succumb to the allure, but then have a redemption. So 
I would love to, sh- I'm going to share a, a, a situation and it's kind of a related situation. One where I did the right, you know, like you said, we said it's like the burden of responsibility to do the right thing Yeah, is, is hard, especially when it's challenging. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to share a, a moment where it was, where I had a success and a moment where I had a failure. Um, and it was kind of in a related way. So I was seeing this woman in, when my senior year of college. Um, I It was a relationship that we really couldn't share because it was a little bit taboo as far as like our positions in the university and things like that. Me being a student, her being uh, uh, a grad student. Um, not against the rules, but definitely something that wasn't like – wasn't generally like smiled upon yeah um and so we weren't telling a lot of people only only like my roommates who weren't in theater and like my bet like my best friend knew at the time and her roommate so we could like hang out um but otherwise nobody else knew um and one night we were all hanging out with a group of friends and um i me being the person that doesn't drink was designated driving for everybody so it was late um I had to drop her off first so it didn't seem like we were going home together. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I dropped her off and then I went and dropped my buddy off. And then we had one more friend that was with us. Um, and she she was a really nice, wonderful person. Um, but she definitely had her like her demons and like had like, you know, severe depression and things like that. Um, and I went to drop her off because we lived in the same uh right our two apartment complexes were really close to each other so she was the last one i dropped off um and as i pulled up to her place she had made a very veiled statement that sounded like she potentially was in a depressive state to be to just be a little bit uh more subtle about it yeah um and so i immediately was like well i can't just leave her by herself like i need to you know maybe just be with her for a little bit. So went into her apartment. We hung out for a while. She seemed like she was doing okay. Um, and then before I left, she kissed me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cause she didn't know I was seeing somebody. Mm. Um, she was one. And so like immediately I was like, Hey, like I'm seeing somebody like the, I'm just, like, can't do this. Um, and, uh, so I left uh, and obviously, like, didn't sleep that night because I was freaking out. Um, the next, very next morning, I texted my girlfriend and I said, "Hey, this situation happened last night. I just wanted to be upfront with you and tell you because, you know, nothing ha- like it just happened. I immediately shut it down, but I need you to know that it happened." Yeah. Um, and it even sparked a little bit of a, a like a, a argument at that point of like a, if it didn't mean anything and whatever like why like why do you feel the need to, to like bring it up unless like yeah. it like and I was like well I just want to be honest like I'm trying to like err on the side of doing the right thing even though that we're having an argument now I feel like it was still the right choice yeah and then not like two days later the girl tells my girlfriend not knowing she's my girlfriend that me and her had kissed. Mm. and she's like and i and then he said he had he has a girlfriend but i don't think he i think he was lying and he's saying this to my my girlfriend yeah, yeah. <laughs> good thing good thing you uh, came and i felt very vindicated i was like Aha! yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> however 
to to then leave this on a, a a different note. So I moved to Chicago. We ended up breaking up. Long distance was just not going to work for us. Moved to Chicago. Um, there was a situation like a few times where she was in Chicago and we tried to meet up and we didn't. Um, there were a couple of moments of like drunk texting and things like that. Um, over a course of three years, um, the the relationship just it wasn't resolved very well. If I was if I'd be honest, like if I didn't yeah. move, we probably would still be together, been together at least for a while longer. Um, uh, but one day when I was getting ready to move to LA, I had a one of my plays was being put up for a festival in in my college town, so I was going back to visit for this festival. And a couple, I think you might have been there. No, you were in, you were here in LA when it happened, but I talked to you about this. Yes. A couple of days before I was supposed to come into town, I got a series of, you know, late night texts from her Mm -hmm. and it threw me off. Cause like, I was like, I'm planning on being in town and all of a sudden you're, you're texting me. Like, did somebody tell you I was coming to town? Like, what does this mean? Emotionally, can I handle seeing you? Right. Like, should I tell you that I'm coming to town and me, one of my biggest, and I think a lot of people would agree with this. One of my biggest flaws is sometimes I avoid tough situations, right? Like I very much will either not voice my opinion or I will allow somebody else to just kind of like pick for me rather than challenge somebody in that way. Yeah especially when it comes to like romantic and emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. So I could have told her I was coming to town and like kind of like braved that, but I didn't. Mm. I chose to come into town, not tell her and then leave to go back to Chicago to then move out to LA like a couple of weeks later. You felt like there was cowardice in that? I think there was. I didn't reach out to her cause I didn't know how I would emotionally be able to handle seeing her again because of the unresolved feelings that were still there the the situation that had happened the year before where she was in the city and i it's like i would love to see you and then she avoided me right yeah. she did it to me but she told me she was in town but she didn't make an effort to see me um and that hurt and so yeah. there was some of that emotional baggage and then to have these like you know, these hard texts that I'd been getting very much leading up to this visit very suddenly. It was just all a little bit too much for me to handle. And I I think I was just afraid to to uh, to face it, to face her in that way, at least mm-hmm. at that time. And so I didn't tell her she's, that I was there. She's your Goldilocks. She was your Goldilocks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I didn't tell her I was there, and literally as I as I was leaving town, like I was as I was driving back to Chicago, I get a text. You're in town, and you didn't tell me, mm. and I was like, I was afraid to see you. Yeah, and she's like, this was probably our last chance to ever see each other, and I was like, because she was she got a job in Virginia, so she was mm. getting ready to move too. And it was the last so, time. Well, did, I mean, did you have, did you, I mean, you were protecting yourself, it seems like. Was and, I though? Well, I don't know. Like the question is, is like, well, it's probably, it's, and the answer is probably both, right? Like mm-hmm. you didn't, I don't think maybe, maybe you were afraid of rekindling emotions. Mm-hmm. 
because what that would mean, you know, and mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I mean, you'd have to answer that for yourself, but I'm just saying mm-hmm. like, there's nothing wrong with creating boundaries if you don't want something. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you did want it, if you did want it, and then mm-hmm. that, then that's cowardice. Well, I think for me, like being able to be like so many years removed from it now, I think it was a mixture of it taken so much for me to get over this person. Right. And I wasn't, obviously it wasn't fully over her, but there was a little bit of spite in there, like a little bit of anger for what she, what had happened the year, a year prior. There obviously was fear. There was there. I think I, I chose not to tell her that I was coming. I could have said, I'm going to be in town. I'm not sure if, you know, I'm not sure if I would like to see you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could have been up front and said I was in town, but I lied. That's the thing that hits me to this day. I lied. I didn't say it. And she, of course she found out because I had, you know, a bunch of people I knew from school were coming to the, to see the play. Some, one of them was directing it. And I, I reconnected with one of my old professors, uh, you know, and had coffee yeah. with them. So like, how could she not find out? Honestly. Right. right. Like, and so like me, like dancing around it so much and not just not, coming out and saying it that was the cowardly thing yeah i mean if you didn't want to see her you could have said hey i just can't see you mm-hmm. you know that, that's what i'm that's where for me it's yeah. like i i succumb to that to that part of myself of like you're afraid and so you're gonna hide you're gonna to talk to yeah you're gonna talk to everybody else and just not tell this person that you're there and hope for that yeah. she never finds out yeah uh but she did so yeah, man, and to this day, I re- I don't know if I regret not seeing her, but I regret the way I, I had handled it, for yeah. sure. It was a very emotionally immature way to do it. Dude, I have so many. There's so many, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I I don't know if that's like the if, – if I'm going to tell a quick anecdote about my own life, like – You don't have to. That's I, just I the way that I – I like when I was watching this film, this idea of like this burden that I was carrying at that time. And one time I overcame it and another time I didn't. And it was within the context of the same relationship. So I thought it just, it really brought up those feelings for me. Well, I guess I, to, to, I guess in a different, like, I'm not sitting here saying, uh, there's, I have never, like, I have definitely screwed up a lot. Um, and I have overcome a lot too. Um, uh, going into those details, uh, I'm not. I'm not necessarily going to do, but I will. Just I will kind of like draw a metaphor here. Um, so like you know how I mentioned like the me and you Samwise Gamgee kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I think. I think I'm at so. I have always felt this purpose, like this drive that I'm supposed to go out and be a thing. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, And like, I pursued it with all of my existence. And where I relate to Frodo is this, like this walking through this rocky desert of of existence. And just like, I'm like to the point of, I almost am like dissociative about my pursuit of this thing I'm after. Right. I like, I feel like I'm in my life right now. 
you are Samwise Gamgee carrying me up the mountain. Like, like I do, like, um, like I've been trying, I've tried so long and, uh, and I've almost, it's like, I've almost given up, but like, I got my buddy here, like even with this podcast, right? Like, like you, you have started creating avenues for me to do art. You know what I mean? And like I, I said this before we started recording, like just um, like I, every time I try to pursue this art thing that I think I'm supposed to be doing, some major catastrophe happens in the world, like the pandemic. Like the pandemic was the last one where I just like stopped doing things because I was just like, what's the point? You know, like, like no one cares about the things I'm making, you know, like, and then now we have this Ukraine thing and like, like with my podcast and, and this, like this one's easier because you're here, but like the one that I'm making, like I haven't been able to get on the mic for a week because it's just like, I'm so freaking, I have so much anxiety about the, about World War Three possibly breaking out. And I'm like, who gives a crap about what Seth has to say, you know? And so I really relate to and, and like appreciate Sam and Frodo's relationship because like Sam's there and I appreciate you being there for me, man, to like, like write the course, you know what I mean? Like, like in my life, like I have had this desire to, to be this artist. And even when I'm failing, at least now I have a friend, I have a friend that helps, helps me along the way. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know what the golem's going to be that actually gets the ring in Mordor. Cause I think it will be. And I think that's the coolest thing about this story about, about Lord of the Rings in general is like, it's something outside of yourself that actually writes, um, writes the world or, or something that, that makes it happen. It's something completely outside of you. Um, but you don't really have any say. It might be the thing you least expect, you know? So it's, it's an unexpected journey, unexpected journey. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And I think that's a great point to start to wrap up our discussion of the Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. That's what we think it's about. What do you and think we'll, it's about? We'll, we'll do the rest of them. And I'm sure we will. They're yeah, too good. Yeah, they're too they're good. Too good. Uh, but that's what it's about, what it all means, what it means to us. Uh, and that is going to conclude our discussion. So here's the question. What's next? It yeah. is my turn to choose. So we're okay. Real quick. We're just going to start. We're going to be going back and forth. Yeah, yeah that's a plan. What well, yeah. when we have guests, it confuses me. So I so I, so the guests intercede, and then we just continue and pick up okay. where we were. So it's not like my guest is my my no. pick. Okay, no. so it's like okay, gotcha. I, that's that's I was giving up my pick for the guests. No, 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 man, no, no, no. You always get your pick. Okay, cool, cool. So yeah, so in the rotation, I guess we'll come in and break up, and then we'll just go back to where we had left off. Gotcha. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So, so what what's it going to be? Yes, this is my pick. So this trailer, I was I went and saw Spider-Man Homecoming a few uh, months ago, uh, and the trail, this one trailer really caught my eye, and um, it looks like a very trippy action sci-fi film uh, about like multiple parallel universes. It's called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Uh, it was co-written and directed by Dan Kwan and Daniel Scheinert. Um, and in doing some research, I discovered that they had also co-written and co-directed one of my favorite bizarre, off-the-beaten-path films that I've ever seen. 
Uh, and I don't think there will ever be a better time or better reason to look at this movie. Uh, so I'm going to take our opportunity to do it right now. Okay. So for next week, uh, in honor of the premiere of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, we will be watching Swiss Army Man. Whoa, I don't even know. I know nothing about this. Oh, my yeah. God, dude. This movie's so bizarre. It stars uh, Paul Dano and Daniel Radcliffe. I'm not going to give you any more information because I want you, if you've never heard of this movie and never oh, seen wait, it. I think I maybe have. It's about the guy that dies and then like he's like able to. He like uses his friends. I I I, I kind of remember the vague the vagueness. You're of this you're film. you're in the vicinity. Yeah, yeah. I think you're gonna really gonna think this movie's. I think this is gonna be the most bizarre film that we've done. Notwithstanding Hollywood Boulevard, in that that was just a bizarre in a different way. This might be the most like off kilter film that we've done so far. Gotcha. You know, off you, the, so, definitely off the beaten path. Something we need to start doing, I think, um, is we need. Do you know where we can watch this? Uh, I believe, let's go look. Let's see. So maybe I think that's something we should start doing Mm -hmm. is, is like give our audience, you know, you guys want to watch it with us. Maybe we'll start giving them, uh, where they can find it. Oh my gosh. It's available almost everywhere. You can watch it on Apple TV. You can watch it on Vudu. You can watch it on Amazon prime. You can watch it on Fubu, Fubo. Uh, it, I believe it's on Hulu as well. Awesome. Um, it's available in lots of different places. Cool. Yeah, this one's this one's a very available. Awesome. So, so everybody at home, if you're watching along, next week we're going to be talking about Swiss Army Man, and I cannot wait to hear all the things that Seth's going to say about this movie because <laughs> it it's so weird. It's one of my favorite weird movies. I love it. All right, guys. Uh, for both of us here at the uh, What's It About Film podcast, we will see you next time. Adios. Adios.